Welcome to the Craft Beer Radio pre-show for 312. Pre-show. So I just showed you, Jeff, the video that, that I am presenting, that we are presenting, or our office is presenting to, uh, on the Simple View retreat that's happening this weekend. So I say I, I said me because, well, I'm the guy who wrote it and directed it and edited it and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did all the FX and everything. Um. I thought you might be interested in seeing the what the original my original storyboard was okay. versus what it, what it turned out to be. So this was my original story circle uh-huh. uh, idea, and as you can see, it's a lot more complicated, and there's a lot more step or a lot more um, <laughs> a lot more stuff going on. And I even <laughs> like, I even looked at it, and I'm like, okay, the, the first part actually does make sense. The first part. The, third, the second, the middle part is kind of iffy, and the third part really just it, it, mm-hmm. it goes. I have no idea what the heck's going on in the story, and I was having a hard time kind of wrapping it up. Uh, and then we all had a meeting together, and we all went out to eat, and I sort of talked it over, and it came up with what ultimately can. I'll show you what the final circle looked like in comparison to that, <laughs> and it looked like. I'm sorry, I can't show everybody in, in the show this, but I wanted to see what Jeff thought of the comparison between all right it's a lot neater yes. yeah it's a lot neater it's you know it's very simple but it, it sort of flows shots of us working i don't think that one made it into no the final cut. that one did not make it into the final cut it, it turned out not to really be necessary mm-hmm. uh, it, just us pondering was enough to kind of get us across that threshold right cool yeah, it was pretty good. Now, did your office think you were nuts with using this whole storytelling no, no. technique or anything like I, that? To their credit, they they um, I, they were asking for somebody to volunteer, and I just said, "Okay, I'll do it." Uh, and then they let me play director, and so to their credit, they yeah, they they're like, "All right, he's doing what he's doing." Did you explain to them that like this is a good story, like the structure, yes. that kind of thing? Yes, I did. Uh, anybody who came up and asked me about it, I mean, that's why I had the whole, all the beats of the Campbell stuff uh-huh. on the side, right. so I could explain to them. Yeah, this is what happens in the story, and and the reason why I wanted to do that was because I looked at last year's videos. They they gave us a link to. I guess they did this every year. This is this was our first time at the Pittsburgh office doing it. Reading obviously my first mm-hmm. time with the company, but I looked at last year's videos, and to me, every one of them was all just a bunch of. There was no story. It was just, you know, one joke or one thing mm-hmm. over and over again. Something thrown for like 10 minutes, right. like the same joke. And it was it was tiring and certainly not interesting, certainly not something that, that kept my attention. So I was like, in order for this to work, we make a story out of it. Right. We make a story out of it. It holds your attention. And I think it holds your attention. Right? Yeah, no, it's a, I mean, you're the right person, I think, to do <laughs> this kind of thing, right? Because you understand the, stel- the storytelling uh, steps. Better than anyone else I know, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think uh, you know. It, it, it like I said, it's really cool. Your office let you kind of do your thing, you know. Like, yeah, you know, they put up with your like circle. I mean, because like they'll be like, "Oh, come on, this is just a video, right? You don't need that crap." But you know, it's cool that you were able to get that. Let them get you to do it. You know, and they were all re- really, really happy with it with how it came out in the end too. Mm-hmm. Which you know, so it it showed. That I wasn't just you know talking out my ass. I was, right. <laughs> I, I built something that, that they all were very very happy with. So that uh, and, and that I think is definitely. I mean, if the videos from the, ever, the other people are anything like they were last year, mm-hmm. then there's no contest. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. 
Uh, Good job, Mr. Weiss. Thank you. So, yeah, so that that is this week. Start. I fly down on uh, Wednesday, come back on Saturday. Okay. First time in Arizona. Yee-haw. Yee-haw? No, not really. Probably not. There's probably some ranches. I don't, maybe <laughs> not. I don't know. Uh, this was, so it is the, it's the 29th, it was just Thanksgiving. Yes. Tell me about your Thanksgiving, Jeff. My Thanksgiving I spent in quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) So, we were sick Monday and Tuesday. Who Um, was we? We, on Monday, Allie, Max, and Heather were sick. Bodily fluids going every which direction. Um... I I'm so glad spent, that I'm here. <laughs> spent a good portion of the day cleaning vomit out of carpet. That was fun. Mm. And uh yeah, a little poo off the couch too. So Yeah. So I stayed home Monday to nurse my family. And then the damn germ bag has got me sick on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You're surrounded by them and you're cleaning. Surrounded by them. I mean I was probably already infected before I knew it. You know, I'm hardly a germaphobe, right? But, you know, I, since I'm doing all this, you know, cleaning up vomit and doing stuff, I, like, I had a bottle of Purell, Purell with me all day, right? And I just used it, used it, used it, used it, just trying to keep the, the keep the infection back. But I didn't get any GI distress like, like they had. Um, ting. Uh, I had, that night, horrible indigestion, you know, really sour stomach. You know, I probably ate, like, half a bottle of Tums trying to keep it at bay. Um, then I got really achy. Uh, I took some Nyqu- I knew, I knew it was coming, so I took some NyQuil before bedtime. And, uh, I don't know, it only helped me for a couple hours, so by like three o'clock it had worn off. Probably should have taken another dose, but you, you know, you really don't, you just want to lay there. You don't want to go think about medicating yourself. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, from three on. So I took that day off. They were so sick on Monday, I actually got a fair amount of work done. So I only took, over the two days, I only took one sick day. Because <laughs> I got a day's worth of work in over the other two days. Um, you know, aside from cleaning up the vomit. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. And then so... You put that we, on your timesheet. <laughs> yeah. We were trying to figure out, like, what it was. We thought it was food poisoning at first. The way it all came on, both Al- both Allison and Max got sick within an hour of each other. We mm-hmm. puking within an hour of each other. So it sounded like food poisoning. Um, you know, but it kept kept puking, you know. And it and they had a low-grade temperature and stuff like that. So it our best guess is it's, nor- you know, norovirus. And apparently with norovirus, you can be contagious for a period after you're better. I could be contagious right now. Thanks for telling me that. I don't think we are, but uh, so that's why we were disinvited from from Thanksgiving. So we just had a family Thanksgiving in the house where I cooked mm-hmm. a turkey and uh, I got some pecan pie upstairs. If you would like to try it, it's pretty good. Homemade, everything from scratch. Um, made a stuffing that was pretty good except i didn't wash the leeks out good enough so it's a little sandy mm. which kind of sucks it ruins the whole stuffing really <laughs> and uh so i mentioned to heather you know it'd be since it's, we'd only need a small bird it would be neat to try you know heritage bird right and it was expensive didn't really it was 14 dollars a pound like you just told me but 
She couldn't find one. She went to Market District in Wexford and they didn't have any. But they did have, you know, free-range organic. And I guess the kids were driving her nuts. She didn't realize what the price tag on the bird was. Brought it home, like 86 bucks for this bird. Um, I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. Just try it. Excuse me. So I, I prepped the bird the same way I always prep the bird. I cook a pretty awesome turkey using Elton Brown's brine. And I spatchcock it, you know, take the backbone out. And it cooks real quick, stays really moist. I did a, you know, a shop and save free with loyalty points turkey the previous week. And it was delicious, you know. So I did the um, this free range one on Thursday. And it was just as good. Not maybe... The, the breast meat was a little bit less good. The dark meat had a more a deeper flavor to it. You know, so the dark meat, because these things actually walk, I guess. Well, that and dark meat is just better than white meat. I mean, white meat right. is just bland protein. Right. As it is, most people enjoy the texture more, but there's no flavor yeah. in there. The dark meat was a little bit deeper in texture than the industrial turkey. Um, probably because the industrial turkey is so shot full with saline solution and stuff like that. That's probably... <laughs> Part of the reason their breasts are better with the Elton Brown brine, but I mean, you know, I, at that point I realized, you know, you're paying mostly for the turkey's quality of life. It doesn't really yes. change the flavor. You're not paying for the flavor of meat and, because the the turkeys themselves are, are, you know, from the generation yeah. of turkeys that have no flavor in them anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's why the heritage turkeys are supposed to be more flavorful because they don't right. come from that line, the farmed line. Right. So. You know, and organic isn't that big of a deal for me. And for a meal you have once a year, you know, I'm not going to be buying the organic free range turkey next year. Understandable. I um, helped Damien smoke a turkey this year for okay. um, for Thanksgiving. First thing I did was uh, made him. I made sure he brined it. We brined it in a very simple brine, which was just, you know, a cup of salt, a cup of sugar, and eight cups of apple juice. Okay. Real simple. You know, just to get, sort of get the saline in there, mm-hmm. a little bit of flavor. And we smoked it in his smoker for, I think, like four hours. And um, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful bird. What we also did, though, is we took a ham and we, we put that on the smoker afterwards. Turkey and poultry in general doesn't take to smoke as well as ham does. It's just, mm-hmm. it just doesn't. I mean, one thing I will say, though, is that if you take the turkey and you, after you smoke it, you put it in the fridge, for some reason, like a couple days later, it tastes even better. Right. I don't know why it is, but the turkey didn't last long enough, so it was all gone. <laughs> right. Um, everyone everyone seemed to love it, and we had a very nice Thanksgiving, so that was very nice. Yeah, I hear you with, I mean, I've never thought of smoking a turkey for... Thanksgiving, mostly because, yeah, I mean, the smoked turkey's decent, but it's it's not really... Unless you have, like, a really good automated smoker, you know, it, it's a lot of work to keep a smoker going. can be. Well, the thing is that we, we tried the week earlier um, just to test it out to see what uh-huh. we were doing with two chickens, and we found that we oversmoked them. Okay. That smoke was too powerful. Right. So we... We realized that, okay, we just have to go low and easy on the smoke and just, you know, mostly charcoal, a little bit of apple, right, right. and that's it. Uh, because otherwise it was just overpowering. No, I have had some good smoked poultry, like uh, George down the street. He'll, he'll make just smoked buffalo wings. Those are pretty tasty, you know. Probably 
probably depends on the parts of the bird and whatnot. You know, like it's gonna be hard to get it's probably hard to get the smoke all the way through the breast, right? Uh, no, actually, no? it wasn't. Um, well, I mean, you smoke for four hours, and right. it, it cooks through. Okay. The the flavor carried through definitely. It? Okay, it was, but it like I said, I mean, it doesn't really go that well with the white meat. I thought mm-hmm. that you know went better with the dark meat, yeah. and with the white meat, it just it seemed it was less appealing to me than it would normally be with a with a brine turkey. The um, it's funny you're talking about this because I had Everyone the I had the idea like I'm not going to do a turkey next year. Next year I'm going to smoke a pork shoulder <laughs> and and just have pork shoulder for Thanksgiving. Pork takes wonderfully to smoke. It's it's uh definitely should do that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Bill Cosby and pudding pops and the rape. <laughs> um. Wow. I just I I, I wanted to. Relay this joke that I heard Sarah Silverman give yesterday, which I thought was great. She said, about Bill Cosby, she said, can you imagine 18 liars? (laughs) 18 of them. (laughs) Yeah. I was, uh, I I didn't hear the, you know, like, when he was on NPR on Saturday, morning edition on weekend edition or whatever, right? And, uh. The guy Roz? No, no, it was the other guy that would that does. But you know, he always does these such fluff things, you know, mm-hmm. whatnot. And I was reading the transcript, and I know the guy well enough that I could like hear it playing in my head, and like his mannerisms and how he's speaking, and then you know, and he started asking the questions, and uh, I guess Bill Cosby would just went just mute, shook his just head, shook his head, not answer the question. And did you see the? I think it was ABC or some interviewer. Then he he jumped on the person who asked that and basically threatened his career over it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that was a different one. Threatening the career of an NPR announcer. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you don't have any sway here. You know? (laughs) As long as you're not, you know, he's, he's, (laughs) what was I going to say? Because when I heard about the Cosby thing, did you hear about the Gian Gomeshi thing? He's, he's, uh, he was a Canadian, uh, CBC broadcaster. He did a show called Q. And it was broadcast in the like nine o'clock here in the evenings, but this dude um, liked really rough sex. Okay, really rough sex, and um, so he had a couple complaints against him, and uh, the CBC fired him for that. He had complaints that you know he was choking women who didn't want to be choked, and oh, okay, yeah. When when it comes to people who don't want to be, then yeah. you have a different situation. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, you hear this guy and he's, you know, this thoughtful public radio broadcaster talking about these thoughtful topics, right? And he's this guy that, you know, is like... Why is it it so weird that that people have perversions? I mean, that that it it shouldn't be weird to anybody that people have, you know, the the, the real problem is is that... (laughs) People are, are forced to hide these things, and so then they yeah. then it it makes it they become criminals because they have to hide the, the things that they like from the people who would possibly like them and be willing to go right. along with it, right? I mean, like this guy. I mean, the problem wasn't that he liked rough sex, right? right. The problem was yeah. he had rough sex, violent sex with with people, people who didn't didn't want want to have it, right? Sex. So yeah. The problem is not that Bill Cosby likes to have sex with people who are roofied. The problem is that he did it to people who did not want willingly to. want to be roofied. It's um, not as fun if, like, they give you consent to roofie them. That's where that's where all the problem happens. Uh, so, I mean, 
I, I blame. So I'm not saying that Bill Cosby is not completely to blame. He is completely to blame, and so is this whatever guy. Mm-hmm. Completely to blame. It's not even a but because I don't want to you know qualify that. Right. They are completely to blame. There is also this thing where in society, people are expected, like you see, you know, when you talk about how thoughtful he was, and people right, do right. talk about how Bill Cosby right. was such a, you know, moral person, how people are expected to only have that dimension of themselves and not right. have another dimension of themselves if that, is that, if that is what they express. And that's not realistic for people to sort of expect that. Right. I think that puts pressure on people in horrible ways. That doesn't mean that people should be allowed, should, should be excused for anything horrible that they do. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been meaning so like you know I, I re- was hearing a little bit about and I'm really not super up on the whole Cosby thing uh, you know I read some things you, you broke it to me right it was, yeah. it was probably out for three or four days and I had missed it um, where there was a comedian um, Hannibal or something Hannibal Burris yeah. yeah that had it in his act right and that so like there was rumors and then he worked into an act and that kind of got the attention right have you heard the Hannibal Burris act? Or I did like hear that? the Hannibal Burris act. Yeah. Okay. Can you give me like a, a summary? He of- was basically he was talking about how you know Bill Cosby got very moralistic on other stand-up comedians, and apparently Hannibal Burris, he was talking about what some of the what he heard from he heard specifically from Cosby, or that uh, Cosby told one of his comedian friends, and it was you know stop being so blue, you know don't be so blue. You're hurting black people because they're blue. And he's like, well, yeah, but Bill Cosby, you rape people. I mean, that kind of takes you down a couple notches. <laughs> okay. That was it. I mean, that was. <laughs> that was essentially it. Okay. I mean, it was it was not a huge, like, you okay. know, 20-minute rant. It was it was a two-minute bit uh, that mentioned that, you know, Bill Cosby is, uh, he's a rapist. So right. that, right. you know, his whole moralizing is a little, you know, fails gotcha. at that level. It's, it's a funny, but Halliburst is a funny comedian. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a funny bit, but. It was a small bit among, you know, a much larger okay. act. All right. Bill Cosby. Boy. So we actually have now the very first podcast. It's called Serial. Have you heard of it? Wow, you have completely missed everything, haven't you? You are completely out of the loop. Yeah, I guess. Serial is the big, huge, super duper podcast hit. Everyone knows about it. <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. It's uh, from. It's, you know, from the people who make This American Life, but it's a story about a murder that happened, and it's it's episodic in nature, and they uh, the person who does it does a really great job of describing it. And is it is it a history recounting? Or like no, a, no, this or is, is, this a, is a, a, a fiction, work of fiction, like no, a radio drama, or what is th- it? This is a true story about okay. a person who is now in jail, and... Uh, how some of the facts of the matter don't seem to add up. Okay. And so it, it's actually an ongoing story. It does not solve, it's not stories okay. and over yet. There are people who are investigating this. It's a huge community of people who are looking into this from both sides. Okay, so it's like a This American Life, but instead of being edited down into a nice 45 minutes, it's... Right now, already nine basically 45-minute episodes. And ongoing as, as things develop or uncovered. Okay, cool. You should listen to it. I, I should. So we I, can talk I shall, about it. I shall listen to it. <laughs> what else have I missed in the world? 
Uh, well, have you been? Did you hear about what happened in Ferguson? <laughs> <laughs> I heard about the um, grand jury's response. I heard there was some looting, but I hadn't followed up on that either. So. Oh wow! Yeah, you really have been out of it. Um, yeah. So the grand jury came back saying, "No, we're not going to indict this guy." And then all shit broke loose, and you know because. Basically, cops are being given carte blanche to kill people. Right. I feel like that shit should break loose when that kind of shit happens. Right. So, I mean, how bad was, was it? As bad as the last time around, or it was pretty. It was pretty bad that first night. Okay. There were lots of lots of places were uh, burned to the ground. Lots of uh, lots of demonstrations. Lots of people hurt. Not a lot of people arrested, though. Okay. But, you know, rioting and looting. That was definitely going on. Fun. Yeah, fun stuff. Okay. I'm going to talk about this stuff then. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about some more sciencey stuff so you can turn it off if you want to. Don't want to hear me some science stuff, but I did want to talk about quantum mechanics, and specifically, I want to talk about interpretations of quantum mechanics. So, not necessarily mathematical stuff, but the interpretations thereof. There are two big interpretations, right? There is the Copenhagen interpretation, which is you know what Heisenberg and uh, others came up with in Copenhagen when at the dawn of quantum mechanics. And there is right now the other big one, which is the many worlds, the Everett interpretation. Essentially, they boil down to this. There is, in quantum mechanics, there's something that's called the wave function. This is the, broadly speaking, it's the set of possible, uh, the set of possible properties that a particle can have over a period of time and over a certain period of space. And in the Copenhagen, and, and the thing about quantum mechanics is when you measure one of these properties, you you get an absolute result. But that absolute result is only probabilistic. You can't tell what that's going to be beforehand. Only You can only... T- you can only calculate the probabilities that it's going to end up being one of these possible results. It could be 50-50, it could be 20-30, whatever. So that's what so the, the wave function defines essentially the thing that we call the superposition, the possible right. states. Right. And then when that is probed uh, in the Copenhagen interpretation, that wave function collapses into one of the many, multiple possible states. So that was held out as sort of being the optimal understanding for a while. And then people started to sort of question it for, I think, very good reason, because it brings up interesting problems. What, what does it mean that there's why is there this magical collapse that happens? What, is, what does that mean exactly? Does that mean that it, it's actually in multiple states and then it just snaps into one? And why would it do that? What is this this thing called observation? Why is it special? What does that have to do with anything? Because in the in Copenhagen interpretation, essentially observation is special. Things are in superpositions until they're observed. What does observing mean? It's never really answered. And 
it just it seemed like there was there was something missing. So part of the thing about the Copenhagen interpretation is it doesn't take the wave function to be a real thing. It takes the wave function to be simply a calculation. Um, and the reality is sort of is for some reason obscured and then defined. Mm-hmm. In the the Everett multi-world interpretation, or really whatever it calls, is the relative state interpretation, which is that the wave function itself contains all the possible ways that it could turn it turn out, and when an observation is made, what that means is that the wave function instead of collapse, there's a decoherence. The wave function splits into its possible options, and your universe that you're in follows one possible branch. So the other branches may be real, they may not be real. Everett didn't know. Most People now basically assume, yeah, they are actually real. But we are following one branch, so we are objective from that standpoint, but there is a universal wave function that defines everything that is sort of out there in the universe. And we're just following one, one tiny branch down an infinite number of branches. I mean, the interesting thing about that one is that it actually, it it does away with the whole concept of collapse. It, It gets rid of it. There's nothing magical there, but there are problems, right? I mean, the whole idea of an infinite number universe, that seems strange now, I want to point out that universes aren't created. They're split apart from one another. So they were already mm-hmm. there, collected with one another, and they're sort of split apart. So it's not like new entire un- new universes are created every interaction. It's just universes are actually split apart with each interaction. But still seems like a far way to go. And there is this weird dualism that still takes place. There's this... Similar to Cartesian dualism, mind-body dualism, where you know your mind is separate from your body, there's this idea that your branches are separate from the whole of the universe. That there is this whole, and then there are these branches, and they are separate entities. Mm-hmm. It's very unfulfilling. So the the one that I like, the one that I, and I want to point out that these are all interpretations. These are none of these have any real evidence behind them. These are ways to understand what the heck quantum mechanics is doing in a, in a semi-classical way or a sort of classical way. So the one I really like is Ravelli's interpretation, which is relational. Now, the idea is, is it takes some things from both Copenhagen and it takes some things from Everett. It takes some things from relative state. The idea is, you remember when we were talking about light uh, so we were talking about um, time travel and how it can't happen. Mm-hmm. And we had the thing where you have Alice going here and Bob going there. And Alice shoots Bob, Bob shoots Alice. And you had the, the insight that if they never, if they kept going and never communicated with one another, their realities, as far as they're concerned, would be different. Inconsistent. But would be consistent. Right. Because they never communicated. This is the fundamental part of relational quantum mechanics. Just like relativity, if I say something is going a thousand kilometers per second, what does that mean? From 
a point you define, right? It, exactly. If I say something's going to a thousand kilometers per second, that doesn't make any sense. I, it only makes sense if I define it relative to something else. Right. If I say I measure something spin up, that only makes sense if I define that relative to something else, relative to another system. This system interacts with this system. System A finds system B in spin-up position. They are interacting. They are then entangled with each other. System C over here is not entangled with that system, so it doesn't, to it, and if it, if it doesn't ever interact, mm-hmm. it's completely separate. Right. It never has a situation where there is an objective answer to what that spin is. In both Copenhagen and in many worlds, there is an objective answer to that question. Okay. In relational, there is no objective answer. That answer only makes sense in relation to something else. Right. So the principal concept here is very similar to special relativity. In fact, it takes the, the very core idea that all these things are only real in the sense that they're, rel- that they're related to something. You can only identify something as being in some state if you have interacted with that state. And so all the paradoxes like EPR, they just go away. Because, yeah, these, when you create um, an uh, entangled state particle and set it off, that's a system that is correlated with, it, with itself. So mm-hmm. when two people of different points measure it, of course they're going to measure the same thing. It's that they're entangling themselves with the same system. Okay. So it really it, it does away with the dualism. It does away with magic. It really is, I think, the best interpretation we have. Cool. Glad I could think of it. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, there's gonna, you know, I mean that that relative the way you know the way you put into uh, you know the relationship, right? You know the whole tachyon pistol thing, right? You know we had that one show where we quit the show arguing about mm-hmm. how it was, and then you know in the next show I was able to describe the whole, you know if they're staying apart, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, in the past we've said, like, you know, when we were having the whole atheistic agnostic problem, right, or discussions way back when, right, you know, part of my argument was if he's out there but not interacting, what's it matter, Mm -hmm. right? There's no proof, there's no evidence. So, you know, there's been a couple times in in our lives here on the show where it's the same kind of theme coming back at each other. I I think it, it... It goes to show that that uh, we're both very, very clever, smart people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, that's it. I think we should drink some beer, make us a little less clever and a little less smart. I, I, wanted to, I brought this up because it, it came up in a conversation I was having online about um, about quantum mechanics, about uh, physical things, and it was it was about I was trying to explain what the what the Van der Waals force was because mm-hmm. they were talking about some gecko gloves. It's like, well, how does this work? You know, what is this Van der Waals force anyway? There are only four forces. So I was trying to explain, well, it's a leakage of electromagnetic force. It's sort of, it's a, it's a, it's not a force in its own. Just like, um, there is no centrifugal force, but if you put the laws of motion in a rotating <laughs> reference frame, guess what happens? You get a centrifugal force. If you allow the electromagnetic force, the leakage that it actually does have, then you get a Van der Waals force. It's sort of a pseudo force. Mm-hmm. Right. 
in and it works the same in a very similar way that quarks and and the strong force the strong force only deals with quarks that's it it's just quarks but protons and neutrons are sticking together in a nucleus there's no actual force that sticks them together it's leakage of the strong force okay it's just the strong force leaking out in a very in a very similar way i didn't know that it wasn't directly the strong force yeah so the strong force is just holding quarks together it's not it's just binding them in uh, in color confinement it has nothing to do with Hillman together but it leaks out cool and so then somebody made a comment like well you know i guess that that goes to show you that all all the stuff they do in in particle accelerators isn't some pie in the sky stuff we can get gecko gloves out of it and that kind of bugged me because i was like wait a minute Think about the top inventions of the 20th century. And I said, okay, number one has to be the transistor. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. I can't think of a, of a more important thing. That's a fundamentally quantum device. You have to understand semiconductor physics in order to understand that, and that's mm-hmm. quantum mechanics. Number two, I think, is the laser. And that is absolutely fundamentally a quantum device. I heard. I was. I just recently heard a list of of these inventions. Right, transistor was up there. Um, one you might not be thinking of because you're thinking completely technically. But birth control is one of the most important inventions of the 20th century as well. Yeah, I I, I would say so. But I, absolutely, I would agree. Birth control is one of the most important inventions of the 20th century. But if you're asking me, number one and number two, I think the transistor and the laser. And the laser we don't generally think about. Because you think about oh laser pointers something like that, but no, I mean lasers are used in everything, everything, mm-hmm. manufacturing, range finding, data analysis, storage, medication, uh, power generation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's used every lasers are used everywhere. They are so they're such an important part of, of how you manufacture things now. They are, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. <laughs> They're, they're so important. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, obviously, those medical stuff that we figured out are very important too. Let's drink some beer. All right, let's drink some beer.